welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at the Well. My name is VJ. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you are just joining us or joining us for the first time in a long time or new to church or this is your church home, this is such a great time to be connecting in again. Whether you're watching online or in person, we are in a series called Reset because it is easy to forget what matters most. And we're actually talking about last week, if you missed it, you can go online and watch it about what our vision is. What does it mean to be the church? And these next three weeks, we're actually going to unpack that, um, a little more of the answer to that question through the lens of something that we call our values. And our values are, values are really something that guides our, um, our behaviors, our decisions, and our interactions. The values of a community or a family or any kind of kind of entity or organization, they, they, they live in the background. They're not necessarily something that um, you could easily put your finger on, but there's something you kind of feel, you sense as you're a part of a family or a community or a culture. Values often are how we describe culture. The way things work around here, how do we actually interact with one another? Um, they're really actually important, even though they sit in the background. And it's really even more important right now to know what our values are. What are the things that guide? What are we so convinced about that is meant to guide our behaviors, our decisions, and our interactions? And here's why this matters so much right now, both for you and the world that we are living in. It matters for you and I, because in many ways, um, the normal rhythms that have guided our interactions and behaviors and decisions as a community have been, were, were on pause for a long time, and then have been halted or interrupted or disrupted. And so we actually need to remember, well, what are the things that we hold dear that guide the way we interact together? What does it mean to be community again? I don't know if you've had this experience, but like when you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while or whatever, there's this awkward moment of like, is it okay? Like, are we, are, do I have a two meter sort of hockey stick between us? Or are we bumping elbows, fist pumps? Some of you, I know you've been hugging all the way through. God bless you, right? Like when there's a little bit of that awkwardness, um, that, that's actually sort of a physical picture of what it feels like to re-engage. And we sort of go, what does it mean to interact together as a community? And so we need to know that what guides our behavior, our decisions, our interactions together as a church. But here's the other reason we need to know that even more. I'll just be honest with you that I am concerned about some of the ways the church, capital C, is talking about its convictions and its values and what's most important. And it comes with a lot of anger, a lot of hostility, a lot of us and them kind of language, a lot of fear. And that's what's guiding decisions, behaviors, and interactions. And the beauty of being the church is we get to come back to God to say, Lord, help us understand who we are. And what does it mean to live in these times? They may be strange and unprecedented for us, but the, the, the word of God says that God has seen the end from the beginning and he can actually guide us. And so we get to step into now just re-clarifying our values, our convictions from God's word that he's given to us. And the one we're going to look at today and start with today is this. We are convinced that as a community, we are better together. 
We are better together. Now, even as I say that, even as we talk about things like values, and last week we talked about vision, some of you may have come from or you work in corporate environments where they talk a lot about mission and vision and values, and there's these funny plaques on the walls in the offices where you used to go to work, or um, some of you are very cynical about um, all of that talk because it sounds a little bit like this, <laughs> and I want you to have a listen. Hey, Greg, just wanted to circle back on that Q3 forecast and try and land the plane from a KPI standpoint. Look, Patrick, you want to win-win, but I'm burning the candle at both ends here. Tell you what, let me easily put you on a quick hold and touch base with Darren using Zoom phone. Hey, Patrick. Hey, want to pick your brain on the Q3 forecast from a standpoint perspective. Going forward, I think it's clear from a macro standpoint. We gotta get granular and just hammer things out, you know? Put some chop in the water. Go back and sharpen our pencils. Hope is not a strategy. Copy that. So from a 30,000 foot standpoint, Darren is thinking we square the circle. Guess we're gonna have to loop someone in from sales. Roger. Sales is Carl. Carl, Patrick, Greg, Nancy, and I have the dry powder. Do you have the adequate tailwind to disrupt this space in a way that is actionable? Gonna need to marinate on that. Can we put a pin in it? It is what it is. Let's circle the wagon's EOD and see if we can't flip that over and get the North Star back in the sky. We need to do a level set. Is Nancy in the dark? If so, you should ping her. Roger that. Copy that, Roger. Roger that copy of my Roger. Nancy's office. Zane, we're getting some pushback on the circle back of our initial push. Is Nance available? Let me transfer you on Zoom phone. Tell me something good. Nance! It's Patrick. The team wants to loop you in from a pushback standpoint. Going forward, do you have the bandwidth to discuss best practices moving the needle forward as yes, we Yes, I do. 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 Uh, well, from an unpacking standpoint, we may not have enough boots on the ground, so let's peel back the onion on this. And the elephant in the room is this paradigm shift, which is just basically mission-critical, low-hanging fruit with no value add. So, seal the deal, gather the troops, and let's aim for the win-win. Copy. We are better together. Now, let's be honest. It sounds like a slogan that could fit a lot of things, like a new peanut butter and Nutella product, which, of course, we can all say, yes, that is better together. Um, we're in the middle of election. It could sound like something you'd find on somebody's campaign trail, on some sort of political slogan. It could sound like uh, the end of an insurance company, uh, insurance commercial, right? We're better together, whatever, in some logo. So let's just kind of step back and clarify, well, what, what are we talking about here? Um, we're better together. The truth is, it sounds good, right? Um, it, it sounds good in terms of even the, the broader conversations that are going on in our culture about unity in the midst of diversity and loving each other and caring for each other. We're better together. It might sound something you'll hear at school this week um, or that you have already. And that in, in your mind, you go, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, even if I'm not cynical about it, it's more than just peanut butter and Nutella. It's like, yeah, we're better together as people. Here's the truth. It sounds simple or it's simple to say, but it is not easy to do. It sounds nice, but it's actually really hard. It's difficult. It is not easy to do. And the reason is we much prefer independence. While in our minds we think, oh yeah, it's probably true that we're better together. We prefer independence. 
I can do it myself. I want to make my, when we talk about values guiding our decisions or behavior and interactions, well, I want to do that. I prefer to do it myself. I mean, even one of our kids when they were very little and they're just sort of growing up and we used to kind of hold their hand as you were walking, walking up the stairs. One of our kids would always pull their hand away and say, self, self, you know, it was this way of like, I can do this. I want to do this myself. And it's beautiful and cute, but we come by it honestly from the time we are children, this fierce independence. And it's not just as humans that we want to do things ourselves for ourselves by our own way, according to our own values. This is kind of the air we are breathing as we live in North America. North America, you've heard, heard me mention this before, as a continent, think about this, our identity was formed on the basis of individual rights and freedoms. In fact, um, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms here in Canada, the Declaration of Independence in the United States, we are a continent and let's, you know, let's not like throw stones at our neighbors to the south. We're all kind of breathing the same air. Our continent is, is a part of a community of people who left other parts of the world to come and pursue dreams themselves. And what this continent promised and offered is, hey, Whatever you set your mind to, you can do. Whatever you achieve is for yourself. Whatever wealth you gain is for your own benefit. And so we celebrate individual rights and freedoms. And there's a lot of wonderful things about that. But what that means is we come from, in a sense, a worldview that says there is nothing more important than an individual having their own rights and freedoms. Yes, communities have identity and rights and freedoms, but those rights and freedoms are secondary to the individual rights and freedoms. And maybe you've never thought about this, but in my humble observation, I think that some of the, much of the anger that we have felt during the pandemic, much of the frustration that we have felt around mask wearing and social restrictions and vaccine conversations is because of this. We as a continent believe that the rights of the individual are more important than the rights of the community. And so even though we might think, okay, yes, if we wear a mask, it's better for the community. If we get vaccinated, it's better for the community. If we try to, you know, follow the social guidelines, it'll be better for the community. We have such a hard time with it because it means that it's not better for us as the individual. And let's be honest, most of it is not better for us as individuals. Now, I'm not here to engage a discussion on what you think about all those things. I'm simply pointing out the fact, and I have seen this in myself, so I'm with you in this. The rub, the frustration, the anger I have felt is I don't want to submit my personal rights and freedoms for the good of the collective because the air I have been breathing as a North American is the individual rights and freedoms are more important than anything else. Independence is my ultimate value. Not only that, as people of faith, because the church has struggled with this in this season as well. And if you go back actually 600 years or whatever to the Protestant Reformation and just a little bit of church history here before kind of the Protestant Reformation, you had uh, pockets of Jesus followers kind of all over the world, but the church at the time was considered Catholic. And I don't mean kind of the way we might understand it or some of your background. Catholic just means one. The church was sort of a, a, a community, like one, one church. And there were a group of people about 600 years ago that felt like, hey, there are things in the church we are concerned about. The way the church is handling its power, the way it's treating other people, what it's saying or not saying about Jesus. And so there were a group of people that tried to reform the church. They wanted to change it. 
But inevitably, it actually became a movement that broke off or it became pro, pro, a protesting, a protesting movement. That's where we get the word Protestant. And it started to say, hey, we are protesting against what's happening within the church. <laughs> Sound familiar? We were protesting that. But what you find is early on, those, the leaders of that movement couldn't agree on even some of what I would say are some of the finer points of theology. They weren't the core things. They're the core things they agreed upon. But because they didn't agree on some of the other things, there's actually this kind of famous interaction between two key leaders in the Protestant movement. And someone had got them together at their castle. You know, that's what you did. You owned a castle. You brought people together and said, hey, let's, uh, let's get you guys to agree. This is the story. It goes, they agreed on the first 15 points. And on the 16th point, which was the final one, they disagreed. And because of that, they split. And Protestantism splintered into a thousand pieces. And maybe the answer to the question of some of you, if you're new to the church or you're, maybe you're new to the Protestant church, you're like, why are there so many denominations? Why is there Baptist and this and that? And what are you guys? And when people say, what kind of church are you? Whatever, which is actually really important why we're having this values conversation. Because I don't know about you and people say to me, what kind of church is it? Um, sometimes I, I, I almost want to define what it isn't. But I think what we need to learn to say is, well, our church is about Jesus and it's about these values. Like this is actually going to give you a way to describe or to answer that question for people to say, well, what kind of a church are you? Well, we're about Jesus at the center. And let me kind of describe to you the personality or the way our church is. It's these values. One of them is we're better together. We put it in small words so you could actually remember it. And we need to know the answer because the history of the church is actually splintered in a thousand directions because people said, you know what? I don't need to agree with you. I got enough people who agree with me. So we're going to move on, go off and start our own movement. And it's splintered in a thousand directions. And so not only as North America, or human beings, do we, do we have a bent towards independence? Not only as Americans are we like, no, individual rights and freedoms are more important than anything else. Many of us grew up in Christian traditions where we say, you know what? I got my own ideas. I'm just going to hang out with the people who believe all the same things I do. I don't need you. I've got my own people, my own camp, which is another form really of independence. And so we're better together. Sounds good. It sounds simple. It's just way more complex and much harder to do. The good news is the Jesus movement from the beginning was not a movement of independence. It was a community of people, very diverse, very different, prone to actually uh, conflict and to disagree with one another that were brought together to follow Jesus. This letter that we're actually using for our whole series called Reset was written by an early Jesus follower to a group of churches in what is now known as, you know, as modern day Turkey in Ephesus. It's called the, the letter to the Ephesians. And in this letter, Paul is beginning to explain to them, and this is so cool. He's saying, you know what God's plan was from the beginning? God's plan from the beginning, from the very first time there was fracture. And if you read the early pages of scripture, we find fracture between husband and wife, fracture within families, fracture within tribes, fracture within communities. And it continues on this pattern of disunity, conflict, frustration, and independence. We find, Paul says, you know what God's plan? He says, I've just started to realize it. And he was, this was just dawning on him as a new Jesus follower. Oh, this is the mystery of what God has been working at under the surface, which now we're starting to understand in Jesus that God was trying to bring us together as one people. He actually calls this idea, we're better together, as part of the good news. 
the gospel. Now, some of you grew up in churches that were called gospel churches or good news churches, or you read your Bible, it's called the good news Bible or whatever it is. And here's what they probably told you the good news was. The good news is, well, it usually started with bad news. You're a sinner. <laughs> God loves you though. And Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. And if you believe in him, you're going to go to heaven one day. And that was the good news. Now, let me just say, it is really good news that God loves us. It is really good news that Jesus has died for us in our place. It is really good news that we have been forgiven. It is really good news that he is preparing a new heaven and a new earth for us to live in forever one day. But that's only part of the good news. If that was all the good news was, someone should have told Paul because in this letter, he's insisting actually part of God's good news plan all the way along because of Jesus was to unite people that otherwise were divided by, he uses this word, hostility that there was hostility between people groups. We don't have to know all the history of those particular people groups he was addressing because hostility has just remained a part of the human situation. Whatever the details were, the situation is the same in terms of our hostility and our separation, our fragmentation, and our proneness to be independent and just stay with people that are like us and for us. And Paul says, no, that's actually part of the good news that God has brought us together to be one people. In fact, he says, you know how I want you to understand <clears throat> that you're part of the, the good news is? You are a brick. <laughs> that's what you need to understand. In fact, all y'all listening are bricks. Actually, he said it way better than that. So I want you to have a listen right now. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the churches in Ephesus gives actually a picture of what we're better together looks like. And he gives them a reference point of something they could have probably seen around them in the cities that were being built up. And he says, you are all kind of like living stones or bricks being built together in a house. That's, that's who you are. And which is not actually about independence, but interdependence. There's an interconnectedness, which is what I love about this picture is, and even you can see like in my little structure here that nobody could live in yet, and nobody would ever live in a house that I built, just to be clear. Um, but there's, a, there's an interconnectedness um, where you see three things. You see um, a side-by-side -side nature of these stones kind of together, like there's, a, there's an interconnectedness, but there's also every stone in a sense is both depending on another one, it is sitting on another one, it is being supported by another one, but it is also supporting others. So there is, a, there is an interconnect side by side, but there are, there are stones that are being carried and lifted up by others. And then each one that is being lifted up by one is also lifting up another themselves. And this I think is such an incredible picture of what it means for us as Jesus people to say, we're better together. There is this sort of interdependence, not an independence. There's a, there's a connectedness side by side. There's a one supporting the other and each one both being supported and supporting it. Each one being carried, lifted up, having their burdens kind of carried and each one doing that for 
another. But here's what's significant about this. This isn't just kind of we're better together, sort of social club synergy kind of thing, because you could say, oh yeah, no, that's kind of a cool way to look at, at life. Paul says, no, you are a spiritual house with stones interconnected, but he says this, built on Jesus. So this is to say this, we're better together starting with Jesus. And he, he says, he uses this reference about Jesus being the cornerstone or the beginning or the first stone. And, and in those days when you built, um, masons and, and people who, who built homes would look for a, a perfect stone from which to start the entire building. It had to be shaped perfectly, um, geometrically, all the sizes and directions and measurements because everything would start to grow out from that stone. Right? And so if there was unevenness, if there was brokenness, if there was flaws, the whole building in a sense would be built on something that was flawed or crooked or slightly off center, right? From every corner. But Paul says, look, this is the beauty of the community of Jesus. We have been built on the perfect one. He, and in case you're sort of insulted at being called a stone, he says, Jesus is the chief stone. So there's no insult here. He says, Jesus is our beginning point. He starts the house. And then he actually goes back to history to some of them that would have been alive there. He said, and all these apostles, myself included, right? He probably had that in his mind. We all came after Jesus, right? No one's building on us as an identity of this church or that teacher or whatever. We're all built on Jesus. The community starts from him and then the apostles and then all of you, all of us. And we would say now today, 2000 years later, all of us are living stones interconnected, starting with Jesus. And here's why this is so important. <laughs> what kind of a house is a house where the first stone laid is Jesus? What kind of building do you get when you build on Jesus? What kind of community, what kind of house is this? Well, we just only need to look at the gospels and the life of Jesus to say, well, it's not a war bunker filled with weapons for, for uh, fighting each other or the enemies outside. It's not a war bunker because that's not how Jesus, Jesus loved his enemies. He was killed by his enemies. He didn't kill them. So if we're building a house on Jesus, it's not a house filled with weapons to make war against other people who think differently than us. Neither is it a king's palace where only certain people with certain social class or skills or, or wealth are allowed to come and other people are kept out. It's not this place where only royalty are allowed because Jesus, in fact, one of the things he was known for, and in fact, one of the things he was killed for was that he seemed to be uh, happy to welcome everyone. That in fact, he was constantly encouraging anyone who followed him, who had wealth, who had a palace to make it open for everyone. So we know it's not a palace that keeps wealthy and elite people in and other people out. Neither is it a pristine religious temple where only pure people are able to go or certain people who know enough or who have a certain kind of education or seem to have a life that looks very exemplary. We know that too, because Jesus did most of his teaching in his life outside the temple. And the scriptures say when he actually died, the temple veil that kind of separated the holiest place from everything else was ripped in two. It actually meant everywhere is God's house. People are welcome to come in and to come close 
to God. And if Jesus is a priest or a high priest or a religious leader, he's one that actually opens up the door for everyone. So it's not this sort of, it's not a war bunker to make war and to use weapons against each other. It's not a sort of a king's palace that keeps certain people in, certain people out. It's not a religious space that separates the pure from the impure. It is a house built on Jesus, where really the center of this kind of house, it's a table where you eat. And in fact, the word Paul uses here is dwelling, which implies household. Household. He says, this is the household of faith that starts with Jesus, where all are welcome and invited to him, where there is an interconnectedness, where we are next to one another, where we are leaning on others and others are leaning on us. Starting with Jesus, a house, a culture, a community shaped by the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what kind of better together we mean. And then probably the most amazing part of the passage, he says this, it is a dwelling where God lives. Now this is the best and really the most important part. When we are better together, when we are a community that is interdependent um, next to each other, caring for each other, supporting each other, built on Jesus, when that house is built, God shows up. I want you to picture a DJ the lights are pumping, the beat's going, and he's yelling over the mic, God is in the house. (laughs) When God is in the house, it's unmistakable. When God is present, everybody outside can hear the beat on the inside. When God is present, when people walk into the house, what they feel is not, oh, am I wearing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? What they don't, what they don't feel is shame or guilt. What they feel is, oh my gosh, God is in this place. I am welcomed in. They feel like people felt when they met Jesus. That's what it means to be a spiritual house. That's the prize. That's the goal. The reason that we fight to be better together, to stay together. Um, built on Jesus is that when we do, God shows up and people get to experience God through us. And we get to too, because God is in the house. This is so important right now. It's so important, like I said, because the world is divided. People are beat up from the conflict and fighting they experience in their homes and in their workplaces, in their schools and in this world. The church is divided right now. It needs to re-encounter God in the midst of people who say, we are better together. I wanna continue this conversation with Melissa, who's on staff uh, with me, both of us, really from the vantage point of people who were a part of this church before we were on staff, um, as as volunteers, like many of you are. Before we do, the band's gonna lead us in a song called Who You Say I Am. And if you've heard it before, even as you listen, it's definitely a personal articulation of what it means that God has saved us and invited us into his family. But there's one line that says, in my father's house, there's a place for me. And so I want you to sing it or listen to it in the context of saying, no, this this good news that God, who, who God says I am, he also says, hey, you're better together. You're not meant to be alone. Melissa was actually making a comment earlier to me uh, today about the fact that that's one of the first things God says about the creation, everything he loved. But he said, it's not good for this man to be alone. It's not good for human beings to be alone. And so you'll sing this song hopefully today with an understanding of, wow, this is part of the good news that God hasn't just saved me and forgiven me and loved me, but he's brought me into a family. He has brought me to the table with others. So let's sing that together.
So I wanted to continue this conversation about Better Together, not on my own, <laughs> with Melissa, who many of you know, but if you don't, she is on staff here at The Well. She's our King City site pastor and our family ministry pastor. And, um, but, I, but I want, the reason I guess I wanted us to have this conversation for the rest of this message is because both of us experienced this Better Together thing, mm-hmm. not as staff members of a church, but as volunteers, as people who are a part of a group of people that started this church, um, I want to say 16 years ago, and um, that we both really encountered better together uh, just unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to listen to this conversation of both of our experiences. Maybe that's more from the vantage point of where you sit, of someone who's maybe you're new to this church, or maybe you've been a part of this, or you served in some capacity, or volunteer, um, or maybe you were part of a group of people that were with us when we started. But to hear it like that and say, okay, what does that mean for us at this time in this season, where in a sense... We are restarting as a church in three locations. Um, so Melissa, thanks so much for joining. I'm happy to be here. So when you um, and Ruben, your husband, like first uh, started to be a part of what was then the upper room, that, that this new church, where were you at in your journey with, quote, the church? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I grew up in a church that my family was super involved in. We always joked that if the doors were open, we were there, but actually we probably unlocked the doors <laughs> to make it so that everybody could be there. And as a result, the church was like our family. Um, I have nothing but good feelings actually about my childhood and how I grew up in the church. But then after high school, I went away to university like lots of people do. And I attended what we called Bedside Baptist um, <laughs> most that. of that, that time. That's, it was very popular <laughs> in college. And, um, you know, attended sporadically. And then even after I graduated and I moved to um, into the city, into Toronto, um, I attended, you know, off and on and not really serving anywhere, um, only if they needed me or if it felt like something I was interested in. So, um, yeah, I wasn't involved. I would say sporadic at best. And then um, I met my husband and we got married and uh, settled in Toronto. And I knew that we needed to get connected somewhere. Like my people, uh, we didn't even have mutual people. Like uh, my husband immigrated here. And so all of our friends were my friends and their husbands or boyfriends. And like, Shocker, but just because you're friends with them doesn't mean your husband's going to be friends with them. So we needed to come up with our own Mm -hmm. people. And I knew we needed to lean into a church. And so um, we did start to attend actually the church that planted what was Upper Room and now the well. It's called Rexdale Alliance. Um, But once we heard very early on, we heard about the plant. And so um, that really resonated with me. I knew that if we would go to a smaller congregation, they, we, um, we would feel needed. And even though I'm sure Rexdale needed us too, it was going to be more apparent in a smaller church. And so we signed on actually pretty quickly to come Mm. um, with the plant. What's interesting about your story, and I guess ours, like our oldest kids are the same age, Mm -hmm. um, born in 2005, which was the year that we started the church. (laughs) Um, 
our son Noah was born in June. Camille's born in October. Yep. Yeah, right when we started. Yes. And so that's interesting because it's actually a stage of life too where it's even easier to get disconnected from mm-hmm. faith and community because your whole world is turned upside down mm-hmm. as becoming parents. And, you know, uh, it takes you all to sort it out. And all of your natural rhythms are disrupted. So here you are, and we were too, and actually a number of people coming to uh, this new church at that time. Well, my, uh, you know, I talk about the fact that better together sounds great, <laughs> but it's really hard. It's not easy. So if I were to ask you honestly, like what about that whole experience as you were a part of a community starting a church mm-hmm. from scratch and in this season of life where you didn't know a lot of people and Ruben's still relatively new even to the country um, and you've got a newborn, mm-hmm. how, like, yeah, talk about that. What was hard and difficult about better together? Yeah, um, it's completely inefficient. So I think we were, Ruben and I are both pretty high capacity, efficient people. And so this seemed like a lot of work. I, I even look back on pictures of when we were planting the church and I thought, wow, Camille was a week old. And Ruben, like we have pictures of him like greeting. What was he doing at church? He needed to be at home. Um, So it felt there wasn't anyone else to do it. So um, yeah, that was hard. It didn't feel like, like it felt like if you didn't go, it wasn't going to happen. And that was a certain amount of pressure that at times I'd love to tell you, we thought that was wonderful, but we didn't, there was pressure there. And we felt like, man, we got, we got to, we got to keep doing this. Um, And even as the church was growing and moving along, it was, it was hard and difficult to um, want to do something, but also to have to compromise and work with other people. And so different people come to church with all sorts of different ideas and they don't always agree with you. And sometimes that's on stuff that doesn't seem very important, like, you know, what color the signage should be or whatever. And sometimes it's on bigger things, like how we are gonna run children's ministry or, how people feel welcome at a church. And if you're somebody with fairly strong opinions, that can be a really difficult thing to do in such a diverse um, group of people. Mm -hmm. It's also hard because it was humbling. Like for us, um, even over those first early years, so I had Camille at the beginning when we planted and then was pregnant with um, our second about two years later. And we, um, we had some terrible news when, when I was expecting and we were going through all these different tests. And it was one of those things where I couldn't hide it anymore. Mm. And um, I had to ask for help. We had to ask for help. We had to ask for prayer and we had to ask people to come alongside us. And that was, that was really humbling for us. We had been pretty self-sufficient. Mm. Um, so why do you think that is? Because that, you know, that picture of the bricks sort of mm. leaning on each other. Oh, it sounds so beautiful. Why is it so hard <sighs> to depend on each other? To it let is. people, like, why was it hard for you to let people? Yeah, in? I think the, the biggest reason it was difficult is because I think I had grown up with this idea that if I did so many things like right, um, that it would result in a certain thing yeah. and in I'd the right blessed. thing. God yeah, I'd be blessed. Things yeah would be easy and we would be happy. And I wasn't going to have, you know, terrible uh, pregnancies or have to have a a child born with different challenges. And so it wasn't adding up for me. Mm. And um, I also realized that so much of my life was actually kept, like I only let people see what I wanted them to see. And that, that pregnancy and that, that, you know, those first years, 
I had to let everybody see it. There was no hiding it. Mm. And so, you know, I have this really beautiful memory of the night before I was going and I was having a scheduled C-section and a whole bunch of, I think like it was like 25 people came over to my house and they were all in my family room and they were just praying for us before mm. um, I went in. And it was the most beautiful picture of God's people talking about bricks, man. They were all, they were circling me and, and, and Ruben. And it was just this beautiful moment that, yeah, we are better together. I can't do this by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of too bad that that's human nature, right? Like you're kind of forced yeah. into this spot of yeah. recognizing that you, we really are better together, but I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. You talked about two things that I think are so important to remember in this new thing, new community, smaller, where you're going to mm -hmm. get noticed more, <laughs> you can't hide. You realize you're needed, mm -hmm. but then you also realized you needed. Yeah. Right? And all of a sudden there's like, okay. And it's, is this moment where you can just decide not to. Yes. You can, you can leave the church, right? Cause it's like, oh, too much work. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I entertained those thoughts, For right? Sure. Uh, Jen and I felt like so many times in the early days, all we were doing was coming home from people's houses who told us they were leaving the church <laughs> and we're here fighting for it, right? Just as volunteers, but yeah. like feeling like, no, there's something here, but at the same time being very faithless in our own hearts and struggling. And then there's also that point where like, oh, I'm not gonna let people in. Mm -hmm. And you chose to kind of push past both of those things. Um, why is it hard right now mm. for people to, sort of lean into better together. Yeah, I think it's harder now more than ever. I think, you know, we can blame lots of it on COVID for sure. We've been told for the last 18 oh, months um, <laughs> to stay apart from each other mm -hmm. and to take care of yourself. And those were all, I mean, important things. We had to do it. Yep. Um, so for sure that's part of it. But I, with or without COVID, it's a problem because we are now in a, a time and in, in space where if you don't agree with one another on all issues, you become enemies. And it's an interesting time to be like, it didn't, it didn't used to be like that even as kids, like me growing up, I remember having all sorts of differences of opinions with my dad, <laughs> with my friends. And it was okay. It's like not agree to disagree, but it's like, these are healthy discussions. Now the word is like, if you don't agree, then you're judging mm -hmm. and it's used a lot more now. And so I think what is happening is people are really um, focused on finding other people who, who think, and look like them, are doing life like them. And there is comfort in that and I get it, but also it's dangerous mm -hmm. because not only for things like groupthink and, and that, but I think we're missing out on something that actually God really designed for us, which was this whole idea of unity in diversity, that we get to have different ideas and opinions. I mean, the truth is all of us can read the Bible and read one passage and come out with all sorts of different um, thoughts about it or convictions about it. Not because um, it's like completely mysterious, although it kind of is, but actually the Holy Spirit talks to us through it. And then we get to hear about what other people think and it challenges us. And I just think, um, now more than ever, that kind of thing is almost discouraged and we're supposed to actually think the same way. And that's who you're supposed to be looking for. And so at church, it's difficult because you're going to come where else in the world do you hang out with people who are from a variety of economic backgrounds, races, um, ages and stages of life. And we're like all supposed to be working together for one outcome that doesn't happen. Like even in your workplace, it's not really like that, right? You're all kind of in the same field. Um, at your school, you probably live in a community that kind of looks like you. That's just kind of what happens. Yeah. And so only in the church are we asked, are we tasked with like working together with such a diverse group of people. So yeah, I, yeah it's harder than ever. 
We have a really cool opportunity, I think, right now, even as I'm listening to you talk about that. We, we are a multicultural church, mm-hmm. um, but I would say we still have actually a lot of room to grow in our understanding of each mm-hmm. other and allowing that, even that multiculturalism to really impact us. Because it's one thing to say, mm-hmm. oh, I will tolerate your diversity. That's the <laughs> beginning point. Okay, it's, it's important, but it's the beginning. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not the goal, right? That's not love. Then it's another thing to say, oh, I notice your differences and mm-hmm. I'm going to allow for them or acknowledge them and, mm-hmm. and realize, oh, you might not think the same as me and whatever, and that's okay. But then the next thing to go, well, I really value those differences mm-hmm. and I want them to begin to impact that's me and okay. change me, right? So that I would say, I think we have a lot of room to mm-hmm. grow in just because that's, a, that's the hardest frontier mm-hmm. to break through where we truly begin to affect each other. And not just because of our culture, skin color, food, you know, customs, but the way we see God, like God is the God of the nations. God mm-hmm. is the God of all people, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, you know, that all the classifications that the New Testament talks about tried to cover all the bases mm-hmm. to say, God <laughs> is God of all of us. So as you said, we... We don't see in the same way, and that's good. We need that. Yeah. I have learned so much, the most, from people who are so different than me, personality-wise, mm-hmm. life experience, mm-hmm. whatever. And so I think that's a, a cool opportunity. What else would you say is a gift or a blessing yeah. in pushing through the hard aspects of being better together? Yeah, I think... Um, you kind of touched on it at the beginning when we were planting the church, it was like, we were right in the throes of like littles. And I remember, I remember those days, actually every, I have a couple small nephews and other kids that we're involved in. And I'm like, I don't actually remember. This is even harder than I remember. So I get it. Um, But I think the gift of this, we're better together. I see it in my family. So now I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old and the church is actually our common place. Like they've grown and they have a variety of interests that some we share, some we don't. Um, we, want, we have different friends and they go to different schools. So there's less and less commonality. The one thing that's in common in our family is the church. Mm. And we have like wonderful discussions not always thinking the same way about what's happening at the church and and what we could do to to help people more to serve better and that was actually like in the hard slogging of like 15 and 16 years ago when we started this church and we dragged those kids out to all of the things you know all the you know you'd have different people just pushing strollers and buckets of babies and i i'm certainly not the only one your family did it there's many families that did it um but actually it was that groundwork that, that we did so long ago that set me up for where we are today, where they actually love our church and they love like their, their people are the church. And so like, that's my challenge, I guess, to so many of you, it feels, it feels difficult. It's not easy. And I mean, we all have to have boundaries. I'm uh, that's not where I'm, I'm trying to go with this, but I think we tend to, and especially right now, we tend to say, no, no, that's too much. It's too hard. I'm going to stay home, mm-hmm. whether it's nap schedule, or or sports, you know, um, practices, but to prioritize um, the church being your people, not just because we want you to learn more about Jesus and, and know how much he loves you. And that's important, but actually so they can have the benefit mm-hmm. of being in this diverse community and seeing different people um, serving and and being interested in them. You know, when a, my, my oldest, when she was um, baptized, she shared her experience at our church and she was really honest. It was beautiful. And I had someone come up to me, a friend of mine, 
mine later. She's like, how did you do that? How did, how did you make her say those things? I'm like, I didn't make her say it. I didn't even review it before she said it. It it was her reality. And she spoke about how, you know, there's lots of times she didn't want to come, but she came anyways. And as a result, Mm -hmm. um, she knew how much God loved Mm -hmm. her. And so, yeah, I think, I think it was hard, but honestly, it's, it's been such a gift to our family. I wouldn't want other people to miss out on that. Totally. I, when you talked about that, it makes me think about saying, well, the church kind of became the center uh, that we orbited around. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jesus is the center. We say it at our church, but the visible embodied presence of Jesus is the family of God. <laughs> and for my kids to know, yeah, that's, that actually defines the rhythm of our lives, mm-hmm. not anything else. Mm-hmm. We have other things that we, that we enjoy, mm-hmm. but the center, the thing we come back to over time that has kept us anchored is this sense of community and For connectedness. Sure. And not just an hour on Sunday, although the weekly rhythm of gathering is really important, but they're first in kids being taught by you mm-hmm. and other people, and then like building friendships and hanging out and serving and getting involved in different things and hearing about the older kids who went to Central Asia and came back. And mm-hmm. these things have grown in their value. Now, youth group, as they say, they're more independent now. Just this past Sunday, like one of my kids said, oh, God spoke to me about something today at church. And I'm like, Ooh. like when God says something is different than coming out of my mouth or whatever, and you're yeah, like, those so are the good. gifts of being in that place. So there's really two things I think I want to kind of encourage you as you... Mm-hmm as you think about this fall, one is to reconnect yourself. And I just say that in a conceptual way. Think about yourself as that brick. What does it mean for you to be side by side with others again? And then leaning on others and being someone who others can lean on, right? Like we need this. Melissa Mm -hmm. talked about both those dynamics, about being someone who was going to need to serve and hold others up and then being someone who needed to be held up. You don't know, maybe you're in a situation where you're not, but you don't know when that's going to be. And to be interconnected together is so good. So I want to encourage you to use this fall to start or restart the rhythms of reconnection in at the church. And then one really practical, um, beautiful next step for this is there are many people in your family, neighborhood, Mm -hmm. school, workplace who do not know Jesus. And they don't know what it feels like to be at the table with Jesus at the center, right? Where God is in the house and the beats pumping. It's like, wow, I want to experience that. And so we do something every fall called Alpha, the Alpha Course. It is actually a place of, that really is a visible demonstration of we're better together. It's a, it's a course shaped around a meal and like food, interaction together and hearing about and actually experiencing the presence of Jesus in the center of little circles. And so um, that's something we're starting this fall at the end of September, maybe for you, maybe for someone you know, to invite someone. And so I just want you to watch this video. It's really one of the most important uh, initiatives we're taking this fall to let other people and many people experience just how good it is to be better together.